First, effective altruism. Mm-hmm. I just want to give you guys an overview of effective altruism, which is both a philosophy and a social movement which applies evidence and reason to working out the most effective ways to improve the world. Right, and that's different than smart giving, which you talked about last year, right? As well to say, you may recognize some similarities with smart giving, which is trying to promote those ideas uh, specifically with regards to, say, say, the food bank and even the charity I'm supporting, the Against Malaria Foundation. You can check the links in the show notes, crcpodcast.com, if you're curious. This is more describing the movement or philosophy in general, so people have a better idea of what it is. And I'm covering this for two reasons. One is that Peter Singer gave a TED Talk about it, and that gained some popularity. And then two, depending on the community you're in, I know this is especially true in other places like in England, some local skeptics movements, uh, local organizations, I say, have actually just converted to effective altruism movements because oh. they've actually just switched because they want to use skepticism in that way, so they've actually done that. Cool. Effective altruists consider all causes and actions and then act in a way that brings about the greatest positive impact. It's this broad, evidence-based approach that distinguishes effective altruism from traditional altruism or charity. Effective altruism sometimes involves taking actions that are less intuitive or emotionally salient. The philosopher Peter Singer is a notable supporter of effective altruism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as I mentioned, this was sort of looked at in uh, TRC episode 67, as well as some moral thought experiments in number 248, and then the smarter donating that Elan just mentioned in episode 235. What is effective altruism? Great question, Darren. Thank you, Darren. I mean, Adam. Well, as with anything, as you can imagine, if there's a movement and a philosophy, there's going to be some disagreement about what something is, but this is going to be what the general idea of how it's going to be popularly defined, and then I'm sure there's some subgroup which is going to disagree with everything, but that, that's how the world goes. The subgroup would be Elan, for our Sure, sake. exactly. I don't think he's infected. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I donate to the Bednet charity, okay? That's true. I'm that's for it. That's right. Elan proves it. So, to us here, effective altruism means trying to do as much good as possible with each dollar and each hour that you have. Oh. Time component, I know. Well, I it's a way of somewhere. thinking about morality that insists on maximization of good accomplished and not just satisficing of rules and guidelines. Which Is, is that a word? Yes, it is. Satisficing? It sort of means it's not necessarily optimal, but given the limitations of, say, your search or parameters, you find out what is satisfactory for those constraints. Nice. Okay. One main principle is cost effectiveness. And this is sort of self-explanatory, but applied to charitable interventions, cost effectiveness refers to the amount of good achieved per dollar spent. For example, cost effectiveness of health interventions can be measured in quality-adjusted life years, this is mm-hmm. let's try to find some measure of what good health interventions will do. Effective giving is an important component of effective altruism because some charities are far more effective than others. And, of course, some charities just actually fail to achieve their own goals. And of those that do succeed, some achieve far greater results with less money. Some charities are actually hundreds or thousands of times more effective than others at reducing certain types of suffering. That's the key. Quoting Holden from the GiveWell.org organization, one of his main descriptions is focusing on how one's actions are likely to affect the world rather than on how they affect oneself and one's feelings. And this is actually a big switch when you talk to both people, how they give charity. Mm-hmm. Effective altruism is consistent with believing that giving benefits the giver, but it's not consistent with making this the driving goal of giving. So effective altruists often take pride in their willingness to give, either time or money, based on arguments that others might find too either abstract or maybe too intellectual in a negative sense, and the refusal to give suboptimally even when the pitch is emotionally compelling. 
So the primary goal or driving force here is to help others not to feel good about yourself. Yeah, makes sense. A second major characteristic of effective altruists is cause prioritization. And this is, I alluded to this previously before, but many effective altruists place a high degree of importance on working out what the most important cause to support is. And this is a bit Mm -hmm. distinguished from other traditional altruism or charity. For example, there is a growing emphasis on effectiveness and evidence among nonprofits, and this is usually done with a single cause in mind, within, such as education or climate change. But it's uncommon for the cause itself to be critically analyzed. So you might think, okay, education is the thing we should focus on, Mm -hmm. and within education, we're going to try to be the most effective. As opposed to like, wait, should we be even looking at education at all? So people usually have a cause in mind that they already support, and then sometimes they look for effectiveness, which is great, but maybe there's the whole thing should be re-examined from the ground up. So what's your constraint? If your only constraint is do good, right? Exactly. Exactly. So what are your thoughts on education? Education is good. Yeah, I would say (laughs) I'm for education. I think you have to be a bit more specific, right? Education is actually one of the best things in the world in numerous ways, but it depends on what. Like for certain educational charities, say in developing countries, it may make sense to uh, pay for more teachers than it does make sense to actually build schools. There's a good example. Schools you can't move. They cost a lot of money. Teachers are far more mobile, and often in such places you could have a similar instruction in uh, under a tree or somewhere else. Oh, that sounds pleasant. Well, to a point. Depends what the weather's like. Yeah, of course, unless it's too hot. So as for cause prioritization, the idea is to be open to working on any cause Mm -hmm. rather than committing to a cause up front based on pre-existing personal interest. This can also be called strategic cause selection and that you can do much more good working on some issues than others. Similar but slightly different is the idea of impartiality. So effective altruists reject the view that some lives are intrinsically more valuable than others. For example, they believe a person in a developing country has equal value to a person in one's own community. As Peter Singer notes, quote, It makes no difference whether the person I can help is a neighbor's child 10 yards away from me or a Bengali whose name I shall never know 10,000 miles away. The moral point of view requires us to look beyond the interests of our own society. Previously, this may hardly have been feasible, but it is quite feasible now. From the moral point of view, the prevention of the starvation of millions of people outside our society must be considered at least as pressing as the upholding of property norms within our society. In addition, many effective altruists think that future generations have equal moral value to currently existing people, so they focus on reducing existential risk to humanity. Others believe that the interests of non-human animals should be accorded the same moral weight than similar interests of humans, and work to prevent the suffering animals such as those raised in factory farms. Interesting concept. Exactly. So now we have two uh, other added factors here. One is that the future mm-hmm. generations, which don't yet exist, but can experience suffering, yeah. and animals, which also can experience the suffering, somewhat appropriately weighted to the degree of which they're capable of experiencing suffering. So it's not just a yeah. general blanket, every bunny is similar to every human. Well, yeah, the, the question sometimes comes down to, and it's always going to be a value decision, is like, you know, how many... Um, how many cat lives are equivalent to one human life? And depending who you ask, some people would say all of them is not yeah. worth one, and someone might say, I don't know, one to one. They already have nine. Don't be one, one, one cat to ten humans or something? Right. Like Depends, yeah. Another main component of effective altruism is counterfactual reasoning. And this is the idea of thinking about things as they otherwise could be. Many people assume that the best way to help uh, others is through direct methods, such as working for a charity or providing social services. Since charities and social service providers usually can find people willing to work for them, effective altruists compare the amount of good somebody does in a conventional altruistic career to how much good you 
would have done had the next best candidate been hired for the position. According to this reasoning, the impact of choosing a conventional altruistic career may be smaller than it appears. That's interesting, because, right, if you end up getting a job that pays you 100000 a year and you donate half of it to charity, it's a lot more effective than maybe having altruistic careers. That, that's exactly it. So careers yeah. that some may regard as unethical may offer high salaries that would allow one to make large donations mm-hmm. to charities. Effective altruists argue that the marginal impact of one's potentially unethical actions in such a lucrative career would be small, since someone else would have done them regardless, while the impact of donations would be large. However, of course, some dispute this principle. For example, Bernard Williams used a similar example of what a job at a chemical weapons factory to argue against utilitarianism. There is an important and interesting point here, and this is very much, you'll see, as a, as a consequentialist type of reasoning, that if you didn't get the job, say, at an important charity which helps people, would the person who got the job instead of you do that much of a better or worse job than you would have? Well, I think the important thing to consider is how, how poor an employee I am. So if I took a job that was... Very, just a very bad job, <laughs> very terrible thing. I would do just such a terrible job, and I would inadvertently be bringing the company down from the inside while earning salary dollars and potentially <laughs> putting those towards thwarting the things that I'm doing at my job. So right, we applaud so Adam's honesty. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people who, because they are really motivated and they're really concerned, yes. they want to work in an NGO or a charity, and they think that is how they can do good. Yes, and I right, understand that. But it could be that if you didn't get the job, Someone else got it, and they do almost as good a job as you, or perhaps even better. Right. Hopefully, then, it wasn't Adam. Yes, exactly. That, that is Adam. Adam is a good counterpoint. That no, it would have been better if Adam didn't get the job. And then also, it's pretty tricky to start figuring out just how much negative impact you'd have in the world as, say, a hedge fund manager versus, yeah. I don't know, a weapons manufacturer. And then is that going to be outweighed by? the money you might donate to charity and the good you might do in that way. And that's a very tricky equation, which I'm not sure if anyone can work out in detail, but at least you can think about in principle. It depends on the job you have, and it depends on the level of control you have in that job. Right. If you're a cog in the machine doing something bad, if you weren't there, someone else would do it. But if you're key in making some of these decisions and you make morally unsound decisions in your day-to-day job, that's bad. But if you have a very powerful job at a company which does immoral things, you can shape the choices of that company as well. This is true. There's, there's just there's just a lot of factors. It's like you got to think about it. Yeah. Also, uh, from uh, Holden at Givewell, uh, he thinks a component of uh, effective altruists are thinking of all beliefs as being open to change and therefore potentially worthy of debate and analysis. Well, doesn't that just sound like skepticism? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you're hearing about it tonight. So effective altruists research and debate a broad range of topics, from estimates of how to improve lives as much as possible per dollar, uh, how estimates should be used, what counts as a life, whether it's better to give now or later, and of course many more. And the consequence of a shift in views, including on relatively abstract topics, can be large. So one should not take any questions, quote-unquote, off the table by declaring that only one answer is acceptable. So this is the components of almost how we try to cultivate what we do in our lives and our listeners is openness open to change, discussing ideas, everything's open to debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, another subcomponent which is a bit more debatable, which has this term, uh, views on supererogatory acts. And this is one that is good but not morally required. And depending on the philosopher involved in this, they'd actually say, no, you should be donating this much to charity and it is morally required. And other people say, no, that's great if you do it, but it's not actually morally required. But you can listen to some of the previous segments I mentioned if you want more analysis on that and maybe to feel guilty. Yeah. I'll say it before you land us. I'll feel guilty. <laughs> so that's sort of the, the overview of what 
Effective Altruist might be. Uh, just if you're curious, some of the organizations that consider themselves to be part of this movement, there's the Giving What We Can organization, and this has to do with trying to find the most cost-effective poverty relief charities. There's the 80,000 Hours organization, and this uh, is the idea of trying to really promote an ethical career or ethical career advice. The idea is that if you look out someone's general work life, they'll work for approximately 80,000 hours. And what is the best way to allot that time? And it could be that, you know what, if you actually really like finance and business stuff, maybe it makes sense for you to do that and donate some money. Mm-hmm. That's uh, roughly the same amount of time I spend editing this podcast. Hi-yo! <laughs> Pat's bad at math. There's the Life You Can Save organization, which is started by philosopher Peter Singer, based on his book, which I highly recommend, The Life You Can Save. There's the High Impact Network, which has to spread, tries to spread effective altruist ideas by starting local meetups. And there's also effective animal activism, which tries to research the most cost-effective charities that work to reduce animal suffering. Anyway, there's a lot of info on this. You can find links in the, in the show notes if you're curious to follow up. I've made a, a pretty positive case for this, but is there any criticism? for this type of movement. Well, one of the controversies is the idea that it can be ethical to take a high-earning career in a potentially unethical industry if this allows one to date more money. David Brooks, a columnist for the New York Times, criticized effective altruists who take high-earning careers in order to have more money to donate. He believes that most people who work in finance and other high-paying industries value money for selfish reasons, and that being surrounded by these people will cause effective altruists to become less altruistic. Some effective altruists also mention this possibility, and online communities and public pledges are partly intended to reduce this risk. He also questions whether children in distant countries should be treated as having equal moral vowel to nearby children. He claims that morality should be, quote-unquote, internally ennobling, a position, a position as similar to what is called virtue ethics. And in response to this criticism, uh, the National Review questioned whether industries commonly believed to be unethical, such as finance, are actually unethical. The writer claimed that often these industries produce more benefits than harm. The business magazine Euromoney has praised effective altruists for its emphasis on individual charitable action. Now, I'm going to quickly summarize the components of what effective altruists are, then I thought I just want to have a brief discussion on two or three of the aspects of it. So the idea is trying to do as much good as possible with each dollar and each hour you have. You're trying to focus on things such as cost-effectiveness, cause prioritization, impartiality, being open to working on any cause and having your beliefs open and subject to change, the counterfactual reasoning, and then whether you know the acts are themselves good or maybe a moral obligation. So what might be a bit new here is the idea of time and the idea of a career, as well as the idea of future generations. And I was wondering what the panel thought about such things in terms of charitable giving. Um, definitely an interesting concept. Um you know, definitely that one of, you know, work at a at an unethical job and donate money. It's a concept I hadn't heard of until somewhat recently, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the idea that working with unethical people is going to make you somehow unethical, but uh, there's, there's probably, you could use research to argue for it against that. I don't know. Generally, this seems like a good a good place to start. If you're interested in giving and you're interested in being charitable, then you you want to be smart about it, and that's that's what we support here, right? I would draw a parallel in my own sort of non-philosophy thinking mind between this and your trolley experiment, Darren. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it better to swerve the trolley and kill three people to save a hundred, or should you just let the hundred die? Um, yeah, I mean, on, on in a, in a mathematical sense, it makes tons of sense, um, but you you take some responsibility. And you take some responsibility for the things that 
you may cause or that you may do and you take some responsibility for how you feel about what you're doing, I, I don't think that you can completely erase that element. So I guess it depends on the severity of the of the bad you're doing. I mean, if you're going to be an executioner or something like this, you know, I'd say that's different than, say, working for an oil company. But I think your point has a lot of... Unless you're executing bad guys. Uh, <laughs> they're all bad guys. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's, that's, that's a great point. Because um, I've generally not been a supporter of this idea that to do bad to, you know, to, to say, murder one person to save five, I don't consider that to be good and that's 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 debated you know this is sort of the act omission issue which i also covered on previous show and so right now the idea is that our inaction is allowing people to suffer and our action could in theory reduce that suffering yes so while i think there is a parallel as pat pointed out i i'm sort of seeing it more as the positive aspect that most people if they're going to do any sort of charitable giving that means they're going to donate either time or money and then what's the best way to do it? And at least how I've seen things and why I think this may sound, I don't know, straightforward to most people listening to the show, it's very controversial because usually what happens is there's been an issue in the family or in your community which affects people directly. Either it's a particular illness that your grandparents had or your parents had or you have or someone has and then that becomes your cause of interest and that's, that's the idea. That's the cause. And then maybe within that cause you try to figure out the best way to do it but for the most part the cause is in question. And to give a personal example, both my parents have had or have cancer, but I will not give money to cancer charities because I think they already have enough resources for the current fight they're in, and I think I can reduce suffering elsewhere. Now, just saying that makes you sound callous to a certain type of listener or reasonable to another type, or both, callous and reasonable. Uh, And that's, that's the risk one takes by taking this position. And thankfully, my parents don't hate me for it. <laughs> that's the other thing. Would your parents understand, right? Because that's going to be a factor. Well, yeah, th- th- that becomes the other thing is at the end of the day, if you are going to do something which is ultimately, I don't know, making you look like a jerk or whatever you want to call it, um, if other people will have a negative reaction for you that negatively impacts your life, that needs to be factored. I mean, I mean, the whole idea of this is not to be selfish about your charitable giving, but you... We are humans. We are, you know, looking out for number one to some extent. Most people are. But that th- those are two slightly different concepts. The idea behind yeah. um, saying that I'm going to give my money here because I think it can do more good, despite the fact that I have a personal interest in giving money here, or I have personal history uh, that would sort of suggest that I should give money here. Yeah. That. And the the kind of Robin Hood theme of <laughs> it's okay to rob from the rich if you're giving to the poor. Um, those are slightly different concepts. You're right. No, no? yeah. One okay. one is sort of a ramped up version, and I think at this stage, because of the the complexity involved in the consequentialist calculus, the idea of like violating laws to rob people, mm-hmm. although there's some logic that, you know, yeah, you, less people would die, um, and if that individual is willing to take all the costs that go along with, say, robbing someone. Uh, yeah, but that, I guess without more details, that'd be pretty hard to do the math on. But that's well, exactly would... what I'm getting to, Darren. If you go in and shoot five people in a bank and take all the money and send it to yep. donate it to some place that can do a lot of good, I mean, is that where do you stop? Yeah. Well, point. I think murder is a decent place to start stopping. <laughs> well, because why? if we then live in a world where everyone's going to murder each other, 
that has negative ramifications well, all over the place, right? So let's let's take it back to the basic Robin Hood example. Do you agree with that idea? The robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. I like the the, the story presents that as being good, but I that's definitely not something that's ever convinced me of. Well, and this is where it gets complicated if we're gonna go into it in detail, which I don't think we have time for tonight, but mm-hmm. some would argue the tax system does just that in a certain socially sanctioned way, right? <laughs> I don't think so because I am in favor of a progressive tax system. Yes, but absolutely. there's certain rich people who exactly think that's what's going on, yeah. right? And this is – Pat makes an interesting point and I don't mind having long debates about the murky middle. Mm-hmm. But I think at the extremes it's pretty clear that one can do a lot of positive movement in the right direction thinking more rationally and critically – by starting these processes, starting these steps, and starting these actions without then going further along that path to, say, killing people for their organs and their money. Who, who draws the lines? Well, we all draw our lines. We all draw our own lines. That's how it always is, though, unless someone is forcing you to do something. Right, but, you're, you're, but what you're doing, Darren, is you're, trying to, you're suggesting to people that they push those lines in different directions. I'm yes, he's exactly right. They're they're still the ones drawing their lines, but like we do on this show, you're saying providing. maybe you didn't draw your line in the right place. Like that's I'm kind saying of a funny message. No, I'm saying if you value X, Y, and Z, you may by your own standards want to change your line. No, I but you may not. Right? Yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's sort of it's sort of like how I feel. The, any thing we say on this show is here's some ideas of information that you can use to change your belief if you are so inclined. Right. So you're saying you drew your line, but did you do it based on logic, or did you do it based on uh, on some sort of emotional visceral? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and right. and if you are someone who wants to say no, I did it on a visceral emotion thing. This matters to me. My mom's sick. Get off my back. That's more than yeah. fine. Someone does not have to change their behavior at all. This is more the, if you value this, then you may want to examine what you're doing to see if you're moving in the right direction. Like for me, that the whole 80,000 hours thinking about, you know, oh, wait, maybe if I worked here and donated the money, I kind of stumbled upon that myself. But if I was younger and I thought I really want to help people, it may be useful 10 years ago for someone to say, well, you know, there's more than one path. You go because you can actually do it yourself, or you can donate, or you can try to you know pay someone else to do it, type thing. Um, and I think that's an interesting way of looking at this. 